In my past life, I was um, working at marketing, uh, working in marketing at Kraft Foods, and I left that and I went into um, technology and software sales. Um, and uh, during those years, I had four children and was very much involved in the social aspect around my cottage on Lake Simcoe. So I brought in um, tennis instructors, swimming instructors. Um, I organized ladies' dinner parties, um, um, personal training, and uh, concerts and regatta and stuff like that. And so um, when I came up with the idea of Jane's of my business, Jane's Cottages. Um, it really comes from um, really a lot of my background. My background was in marketing with craft uh, and then it's technology. And so I do really feel that those two elements of the business are um, pulled together, as well as the fact that I love organizing and doing summer fun things. And so the whole idea of, you know, beautiful properties as well as concierge services and um, providing good customer service to our guests are sort of the, the foundation for Jane's Cottages. Yeah, so what brought you to Muskoka? Because you talked about Simcoe as being the, uh, the base for your cottage. Where, where was the connection to Muskoka? Um, so 2008, um, my, I was married and we split. We had four children. And uh, about 2010, um, I um, rented a cottage in Muskoka and uh, ended up buying a cottage in Muskoka. When I bought the cottage, um, the real estate agent said to me that the former owners had um, rented the cottage for the month of July for $25,000 for the month. And I thought, oh my God, I can't believe it. I'm, you know, Newly, newly on my own with four kids. That sounds like a really good idea. I was um, not working at the same um, technology company. It had been sold to a U.S. firm, so I was sort of, you know, not. I was sort of unstable job at the time, and so I thought this idea of renting out the cottage when um, I can't be there anyways. I've only got two weeks of holidays in the summer. I thought that that was a great idea. And so that's what brought me uh, to Muskoka and that's how I got into the business. Yeah. So um, did it literally grow one cottage at a time where you did this for your cottage, then maybe a friend and then another friend or was there a more structured approach to this? Um, so in 2010, when I bought the cottage, um, I heard about the idea. In 2011, um, I put my cottage on, um, uh, I think it was Canada Cottages um, and rented the cottage for $5,000 for about four weeks in the summer. And so I asked my neighbor on Lake Rosso if they would rent and they would. And then, uh, so that happened for them. And then the following summer, um, there was a cottage on the other side of Lake Rosso. And again, it was to the same repeat guests. Um, the summer of 2012, I used the rental money to take my family to um, Provence, France for a trip. Really exciting, very stressful because, you know, we're going, you know, um, over overseas. You really don't know what you're getting into. You click on these links on VRBO and Airbnb and, you know, nobody gets back to you and that sort of thing. Um, we were going with another family um, and there was uh, six kids going and four adults. 
So we wanted to have, you know, a house big enough and a good location. And, you know, it just seemed like, you know, there was, it just was very stressful trying to plan this trip and not getting any feedback um, and properties not being available. And so anyways, all over these websites, I ended up clicking on a link that took me to Beverly Hills of Luberon Valley. So there was a, name, a lady named Beverly and she had about 12 villas in the Luberon Valley. And so I looked at her villas, they were all quite nice. I sent her an email, she got right back. She said, why don't we have a call? And so then we had a call. And then I just thought to myself, I don't care. I don't want to look. I only want to look at these 12 properties because I trust her. And I think that um, I can, you know, this is, this is just, um, this is, this is managing my stress basically is, you know, I trust her and I don't want to go any further. We'll just go through each of her properties and see if they're available and whether they suit our needs or not. So anyways, we ended up booking a property with her. Um, she was there when we arrived. She had a beautiful fruit basket for us. Um, she sat and had a glass of wine and just was like, you know, it's like the Beverly Hills of Luvron Valley. She was almost like a star. And, uh, and we would say to ourselves, like, I wonder if Beverly's going to stop in sometime today again. Like, we sort of wanted her to come back. We had, you know, anyways, we had a fabulous time. Um, she set us up with a, a chef, Cosette, um, a couple nights for dinner. Um, you know, told us where the local markets were to ride the bikes into town, um, set us up on a shopping tour to Florence. And anyways, it was a really, really fabulous trip. And so anyways, that summer I came back and I'm thinking about things. And the next summer I'm, you know, I'm thinking there's no Beverly in Muskoka. And so the next summer, and I'm, you know, still sort of struggling um, with my work in Toronto. It was a new company that I um, went to after I sold, the other company got sold to a U.S. firm. And so I'm fighting the traffic, going up north on weekends, um, getting in the car at five o'clock, getting up north at sometimes 8.30, thinking about going down on a Saturday night, like thinking about going down on Sunday, but I'm already thinking about it Saturday night, about when should I leave? Should I wait for the traffic? Should I let the traffic go? And all the time I'm thinking, you know, still have this idea in the back of my mind. And so the summer of 2014, I did the same thing. I rented my cottage my neighbors and the one across the lake. And uh, that summer, um, the company that I was with, in sales with, um, they started like the technology that they were selling wasn't selling. And they started sort of saying that, you know, I wasn't doing a good job. And I was approaching 50 and I just sort of thought, I have no control on my life. Somebody is making me feel really bad about um, my abilities to sell their product. And I am fighting the traffic and I just want more control of my life. And so anyways, um, at the end of August, I said to myself, you know, I've got this idea. I'm going to give it a go. I have three cottages right now and I'm going to um, quit the job on Labor Day. So I ended up quitting the job on Labor Day. I incorporated um, Jane's Cottages on October 2nd, 2014. I went to the Ballad Cranberry Festival after um, at the weekend after Thanksgiving, set up a booth. Um, at that point, I had three cottages. I added about 10. 
um, because a lot of owners go through the Bala Cranberry Festival. So I met a lot of owners. But the whole idea about um, I make it easy um, to rent your cottage and plus you're going to make a lot of money with me because I've got, you know, high end guests that are looking to book now for next summer. Um, cottages at that time were going about $4,000 um, a week and it didn't really matter where they were located. Basically, if you had four bedrooms and three bathrooms, it was at 4,000. If you had five bedrooms, it would be at 4,500. It didn't matter if you're on Lake Joe or if you're on Brandy Lake. And so I started looking at those properties and saying, okay, well, um, you know, four bedrooms, three bathrooms, sunset view in the middle of Muskoka on Lake Joe, right close to um, Lake Joe Golf Club. I think that's worth $10,000. And then, so I put it on my website at $10,000. Next thing you know, and th these are owners I still have and they're from the UK. And they said, yeah, if you can do it, you can do it. Well, you know, within a couple of weeks it was booked. Um, so anyways, I added about another summer of 2015, my first summer, I had 25 cottages. I worked out of my cottage. I had two cleaners that I brought up from the city that lived with me at the cottage. I also hired two local cleaners and, um, and things went really quite well. Um, what happened was these owners were very happy with how well we kept their cottage. They made more money than they've ever made before. Plus most of them were actually new owners because I went to these new owners in the Ballad Cranberry Festival and said, I think I can get this for your cottage. And they're going, are you kidding? If that's the case, then go ahead. And they gave me some dates and stuff like that. Um, so um, word of mouth traveled pretty quickly. And um, for the next summer, I had 60 cottages. Um, and again, the same formula where, um, you know, the, the, basically the formula is, is um, we will um, provide um, high customer service for anybody that's inquiring about cottages to rent. We want to make sure they're completely comfortable with the cottage if they want to come and view it. Or now we even do FaceTime tours of the cottage. Um, and so we, uh, and then we will sign them and then we're like a hotel, we send them a guest agreement. Um, it does have terms and conditions that they have to agree to. Um, they sign the security deposit is quite high on my contracts. And that's a reason that I've been able to bring in the owners that I have. And so, you know, some of these cottages are, you know, worth $10 million. Um, and so when I say to the owner that we're going to take a $25,000 security deposit, that makes them feel very comfortable in doing business because they know that we're holding $25,000. Um, we also are a member of TICO, which is the Travel Industry Council of Ontario, and that um, is, um, has a compensation fund. And so that means that both me as the operator and the homeowner does not take funds until the guest arrives. It is to protect the guest um, in the case that, you know, it was sort of like when these airlines and cruise ships went out of business and stranded guests there. Um, and so that's why there is uh, this TECO compensation fund. Um, so anyways, the, uh, the other thing about our business is 
um, the guest is acquainted with a cottage manager. We assign cottage managers to each of our properties. The cottage manager gets in touch with the guest prior to their stay, about three weeks prior, gives them their text number, says, do you have any questions about the property? We've already sent the guest an electronic version of details about the property, but the cottage manager, um, the guest may say, is it you know, a flat bottom coffee maker or is it a peak bottom coffee maker? The cottage manager gets that information back to them and the cottage manager meets them at the cottage upon arrival gives them a tour around. The cottage managers are all, um, have uniforms, clipboards, there's binders there, flowers, gift basket, and a waiver that we ask the guests to sign. And that's something really important for our owners that we have this waiver there and we tell them about the fact that the cottages are on a septic system and so not to throw anything down the, um, the toilet. Um, we talk about fire regulations and fire bans, uh, noise, garbage, parking, etc. Um, we take a look at the um, credit card of the guest, just like at a hotel, and we ask them to sign that says they have um, heard all these things about garbage, septic, all that kind of stuff. So that means if there's any problem with the septic or whatever, they know we have told them, they've signed off on it. And this has also been in our guest agreement and stuff like that. It's also in the binder, but it is also on a waiver that they have signed. Um, during the, the week or couple of weeks that they're there, um, the guest is visited with linen changes weekly by my cleaning staff and also weekly housekeeping. So that's really nice. A lot of my guests um, probably have a cleaning lady where they live. And so it's also really nice for them to be able to go away for two or three weeks or whatever, and also have housekeeping arranged. Um, and then at the end, and then there's also that constant communication with the cottage manager. So if there's any issues at the cottage, they just text the cottage manager. And if the cottage manager either stops by or it gets escalated to my property team or whatever, should there be any issues. Um, and then on checkout, um, the, uh, the guest is notified the day before checkout about um, departure procedures, sort of just like at a hotel. And uh, the guest leaves, we go into a full inspection. Um, the owner um, gets paid, they, the owner gets paid 90% on arrival and 10% on departure. So they get their final payment. And, uh, and then we start marketing to the guest for next year. So that's sort of uh, the life cycle of our services um, over the last, um, so 2016, we had 60 cottages, 2017, we had 120, then 150, then 200, and now we're at around 250. Um, we've added a lot of cottages during COVID. Um, and well, obviously we've grown a lot of staff like between 2019 and, two, and where we are today over the COVID period, our business has tripled. Um, we now have um, over 32 full-time staff. Um, that's year round. And then that goes up another 40 or so in the summer to about 75 staff in the summer. 
So it's uh, become a bit of a business. <laughs> um, we've just, uh, I um, bought an old historic house in Port Carling a couple of years ago. Um, prior to that, I had another house in Port Carling that I operated my office from. That is now the staff, um, that's now my staff accommodations. Um, and I have another building of staff accommodation. So we have about 30 um, staff that are um, staff housing. We provide staff housing for. Mostly there are our Toronto cleaners who come up for the summer. And then, um, and then we've actually just built a new building behind um, our Century House because um, that's being renovated for staff as well. And we now have a new office building for our staff that has storage and linens and all that kind of stuff. Wow, there's definitely a lot that I want to dive into there. I guess to start off, um, you mentioned there, you know, determining the pricing of the of the cottages and, you know, they started at 4,000, went to 10,000, continued on. Can you tell us a little bit about how you go to determining this when you do have a new cottage um, for the market? Sure. Um, yeah, so now that I have so much inventory, like 250 cottages, um, it's easier for us to price cottages, but basically, um, you know, it is things that add value. It is not necessarily the frontage, um, because a lot of our guests really don't care, you know, how much frontage it has, like if it's over 300 feet, you know, that makes the price goes up, not, not with our guests. However, they don't want to just, you know, they don't, they want privacy, but it could, that cottage may only have a hundred feet of privacy, but it's got, you know, um, no, no owners on both sides. So that's great. Um, so anyways, we, we price based on bedrooms and bathrooms, but we also price price on sunset exposure, location to town, um, Lake Rosso and Lake Joe are premium to Lake Abays and Lake Muskoka. Um, you know, definitely, um, you know, the newer it is, I always say like white, shiny, and uh, what do I say, white, shiny, and new, <laughs> those are my three things, new, white, and shiny, um, that really sells, um, and, uh, and um, en suites, how many um, master en suites there are, um, that sort of thing, so basically, we are developing sort of a formula now that we have, you know, um, so we can have sort of a, a wizard that even guests will be able to soon go in and say, okay, well, I'm located this far from town. Um, my shoreline is sandy and um, walk-in. Um, it does have a boathouse, which adds more money. Obviously, a boathouse with sleeping even adds more money um, and that sort of thing. So it's a sort of like a whole rental criteria, um, but it's not necessarily completely lined up with the way real estate is valued. Jane, uh, you've talked a lot about the cottage owner. What about the guests? Is a typical guest um, a writer that's coming for a month to sit on their own in the cottage? Is it three families with lots of kids? I mean, are they mostly coming up from Toronto or are they mostly coming from overseas? What's your typical mix of people that are renting these cottages and what are they doing with them? And right. yep. for us. Um, before COVID, our um, international or non-resident audience um, was 15%, um, making up about 10% of US and 5% international. Over the last two years with COVID, 
Um, the audience has been driving from mostly the GTA, but as far as, you know, Windsor and Ottawa and stuff like that. Um, and uh, they tend in our business with the, with the prices, um, you know, when we are sort of going after that luxury segment, it does tend to be more single families that are, you know, renting across, they're not renting up. Okay, so they, they're coming from something equally nice to what they're getting here. Um, and they, and we have a lot of repeat guests. A lot of our guests um, have, light, have loved the service and just um, rent again. We've actually got um, probably four guests that were with us um, in 2019 that are coming over again from Dubai and Germany and Poland and uh, South Africa. And so anyways, we are getting um, some repeat guests coming back. A lot of our international, and we, you know, unfortunately for this year, we haven't had an opportunity to go out and market to our international guests in a, in a real outreach type way, um, because we didn't really know in January where COVID was gonna be. Um, so anyways, the, uh, we do look forward to doing some great marketing there because the comments that we get from these international guests or U.S. guests is just there's no place like this. You know, the, the government is safe. The amenities are great. The water's blue. You can, it's easy to boat. Um, these, you know, the, the sites are amazing. Um, something about in the three lakes I call destination boating. Destination boating means you can go in your boat in the morning and you can go and get a coffee and then you can stop for lunch and you can go and get groceries. And during the day, you just cruise along around the shoreline and you see these crazy properties that you would never be able to see. Even in California, you can't see down those, you know, into those gates. Um, and so it's just, it's just so much fun to just be on the boat all day in the sun, jumping in the lake whenever, like it is. And um, truly, um, everybody that comes here says the same thing and they come back. And so Muskoka is like the best kept secret in the world because um, unfortunately, a lot of those people that are coming from those countries are previously, are either um, expats and they live there or they are, um, or their kids, they've sent their kids to some of these camps, right? Like Onondaga and Amic and Wapameo and stuff like that. Um, and so anyways, those families look to come over and spend a vacation while their kids are at camp and maybe when their kids come out of camp. What international guests know of Canada is Algonquin Park and Niagara Falls. Um, and really we do believe there's a huge opportunity, especially in the luxury segment to introduce Muskoka to them. I just wish I could convince Tourism Canada to um, help me more in that effort, but I'm getting there. Yeah, and that's it's definitely interesting with the marketing of it. Is there anything specific, especially you have a background in marketing too? Is there anything specific, you know, you find when marketing to with this luxurious, you know, rental stay? Is there anything different that, you know, you do or something that, you know, you find really, you really gravitate towards in terms of marketing, whether it's locally or um, internationally? Um, so our, Local, like, you know, so when we're entertain when we're bringing guests on board, um, we're sort of like a hotel. So once the guest books, 
at sort of like when you go to a hotel and you get there and you look at the brochure in the hotel, what's there to do around here? And so the same with us, once the guest books um, and we and they pay the deposit, we send them out something from our concierge team that says, here are some um, fun things to consider and have it all ready for you when you arrive. So once you can arrive, you're just stress-free and just enjoy. And so that includes things like water trampolines or um, shopping service. You know, we'll go and wine, stock your beer fridge and wine fridge, um, kayaks, canoes, um, all that kind of stuff. And so th those are things um, that they, they like. Um, and I think that really resonates with their guests. Um, another thing that really resonates with the guests, and um, I've realized that this is a really big part of my brand, is our white linen service. So we are like, we have like 1500 rooms now. So we have a huge linen area. We provide all of our linens. Um, they're all hotel quality linens. And all of the properties are made up the same in terms of their bedrooms and their bathrooms. Now they're all staged. And it's sort of like going to a hotel or like a Four Seasons where, you know, you just sort of expect that it is going to be clean, um, you know, perfectly appointed. And um, if there's any questions, there's going to be somebody there to answer them. On the other side of us doing marketing to um, other areas like going, um, we mostly use um, Google and Facebook to be able to, um, and also our website. Um, if you, you know, our website has excellent SEO, 99% um, of our visitors are booking direct with us. They're not going through um, a channel like VRBO. Um, and, uh, but, you know, there are some, um, that is on the guest side. On the owner side, I primarily market to um, my owners that are um, in high-end magazines in Muskoka. Um, so that's one way that I um, target them. And then a lot of it is still through word of mouth. So Jane, you have both a marketing and a technology background, you mentioned. So to manage so many, so many guests, so many cottages, so many staff, you use like a hotel system or like you copy what hotels do or did you rely on how does Beverly have a special system like how, how do you manage yeah. all this stuff yeah thank you um the technology is something that um I love and I think a lot of people in my um, company also love that that we really are a technology company really first and foremost because we can't be as big as we are without having really really efficient systems um you know, we have GPS, we know, like, we, you know, at any one time, we could have 25 vehicles on the road that are going within a circumference of, you know, 300 kilometers of where we are in Port Carling. So we know where all of our vehicles are, we know where our cottages are, um, our property management system, um, our scheduling system, our CRM is still back in 2019. We have grown so much since 2019 that we have not been able to keep up with it. And we've got a lot of Band-Aid solutions out there. And right now we are doing, um, we've doing a full technology audit to improve our systems. Um, you know, definitely they're probably better than 99.9% .9 of the company because I do come from a technology background and we have some really strong tech folks that are working with us. Um, but 
it, you know, in some cases that there's integrations that are shaky, that are breaking, um, and definitely non non opportune ways of working, um, duplication of tasks. So, anyways, we're it is a it's a big project for us, but we're engaging in it right now, and we're actually spending quite a bit of money to uh, to come up with the best technology stack. I just follow up with that. So are you having to write programs from scratch because there's nothing out there or you're having to knit lots of different packages together? Like, how are you coming at this? Right. Um, really good question. We did go down the road um, about four years ago um, to writing our own technology and it didn't work out. Um, our business now, and I'm, I'm very well connected to the business, um, the international side. So I, I go to conferences in, in the US and UK and in Europe. Um, and so I have a lot of contacts. And as you know, like maybe this business hasn't been around that long in North America, but it's been around forever in Europe. People have been renting castles and stuff like that forever. Um, so anyways, uh, no, the best thing to do is you have to buy, um, you have to buy off the shelf the best technology out there. They have a hundred software, like there's about three different providers. They have about a hundred software engineers that work for them, but we also will be getting our own integrations person that can be able to integrate. But no, we have to, it's, it's you know, these companies have been around for 20 years and they, you know, are the ones to do it as opposed to anybody like our company ever thinking that we could do that. It would be a waste of money. And so, yeah, we do use something similar. Uh, you know, a lot of these um, property management softwares um, are like a hotel software, but they are, you know, um, programmed for vacation rentals. Yeah, and, and building on that too, you know, speaking of other sort of rental rental companies or or platforms like Airbnb, um, how is it that you know you really set your business apart from from others? Um, yeah, I would say that. Um, the, really the big difference um, between Airbnb and us is the idea that you can count on us. You can trust us, you know, like we're a company, we've got lots of reviews. Um, we do things uh, the same way every time. If you go to an Airbnb, you don't know consistency. You know, you've got different owners, you've got, they've got different standards, um, all that kind of stuff. It's like, we really want to professionalize our industry. We want to make vacation rentals a professional industry and there's expectations and standards for it. And we want to, you know, be the top of the standards, but yeah, we want um, people to feel very comfortable. Um, their security deposit is not going to be, you know, ever abused. Um, there is an expectation that there will be reasonableness on behalf of the guest at all times. Jane, you've won awards. Maybe you could just uh, remind us what they are. Um, you get media coverage. Is this more, uh, is this good for your business to get this or is this just good feel, feel good stuff? I mean, is it worth all the time and effort to go into these awards, to spend all this time with journalists and stuff? Or, you know, or it's mm -hmm. kind of fun, but really most of it comes from your SEO or, or other media. Yeah. Um, really good question. And I would say that um, the um, Women of Influence Award that I won in um, 2019, where I was awarded with um, 
the top, the winner of the startup category. So at that point, the business was just three years, just going into its fourth year. Um, that award, um, because of the clientele I deal with, a lot of these people um, that I deal with are, you know, um, business people, um, and they're very um, appreciative of that type of award. They respect that type of award. And so that award really helped me gain their trust as an owner, as well as a guest. Um, they want to see that somebody is, you know, delivering on the business principles. And if it's been awarded by RBC, then obviously, like, you know, they would say, obviously, that's good enough for me. Um, you know, a, a pretty Instagram feed and stuff like that has never done me well. Um, but yeah, these awards, um, so that award has really, was really turning point. Um, and also the fact that COVID happened the next year. So those were doubly two really, really great things. Um, and then um, last year we won report on business um, fastest growing companies being awarded one of the fastest growing companies. And that also has helped things. I'll be on that award again this year because um, our business continued to grow last summer as well. Um, and yeah, so I, I do think that those awards are great. I also, um, as you know, Stuart, I um, love to be part of the Northern Ontario Network and uh, participate in local events and try to get um, my share of grants and stuff like that where I can. And I think, you know, obviously those wards are also helpful for, um, you know, um, establishing the type of business that I have. And you mentioned there too, um, you know, about COVID and you, I know you mentioned earlier that internationally it did affect it. Is there any other um, you know, differences you found in terms from your business um, with COVID and sort of the impacts of it? Sure. It was, uh, COVID was definitely really, really scary. Um, in 2020, um, I don't know if you recall, but I sure do, um, that we were still in lockdown until June. And so we basically really didn't have um, a sure thing for summer rentals because if we're in lockdown, um, short-term rentals were banned. Um, luckily it lifted, the tidal waves flew in. Um, a lot of our guests that summer asked for curbside drop-off as far as linens go. Um, and I was always extremely concerned about COVID in my staff. And luckily, you know, touch wood, um, I think if it was Omicron, it'd be different, but yeah, touch wood, we never had it. But if we did have it, we had, we'd already figured out scenarios of what we would do if our staff had it and how to communicate it and sort of, a, you know, sort of some disaster procedures if we had to go there. Um, yeah, and obviously because of COVID, um, something that was really nice for our business is our stays became longer. Right. So kids were out of camp, um, you know, kids had been, you know, homeschooled all year. The parents were dying to have something up by a lake and they would be renting like sometimes many were renting for a month. And so obviously that was really, really great for our business. Um, so those are some of the things, um, you know, um, another thing about COVID is we did have a lot of international guests that had booked prior to um, COVID happening. So the fall of 2019. And luckily, every single guest got their money back. And we were able to rebook with our domestic guests that were driving 
to Muskoka. Um, Jane, we regularly get the challenge of um, seasonality um, and this extreme seasonality. And if you're catering to um, the seasonal market, the staffing's a nightmare, you know, the traffic's a nightmare, you know, um, people are used, on the one hand, wanting to get away from, uh, uh, get to nature and relax, but at the other, you know, time they want to go out to a fancy restaurant and there aren't the same number and quantity of those in the big, you know, small communities. So set the scene because we get so many conflicting challenges around the seasonality, you know, it's terrible on your cash flow, it's terrible on your staffing and why is it worth doing this kind of thing? Okay. Um, my, um, probably about three or four years ago, I realized that I would lose staff um, who I couldn't, uh, who I didn't keep on full time. So I'd have these superstar staff and, you know, um, I'd unfortunately have to let them go at the end of the year, um, end of the summer. And, you know, with all intents of hiring them next summer, but they've got a full-time job. And so, you know, about three or four years ago, I learned about hiring full-time. And I have this fabulous workforce now of people that are fully committed because it's sort of a fun place. Like we've grown so much over the last few years. And so it has been a fun place to work. Um, and so um, that has really helped me is that I've got very capable people and they have helped grow the business through the year, let alone the fact that COVID came and, you know, the idea um, COVID came in 2020, um, as I said before, I'm three times bigger I was in 2019. So between that time, I think we really established our brand of being Jane's. And now from the um, off season um, stays that we have, we are competing directly with like a Deerhurst or another type of resort. They're saying, do I want to go to Deerhurst where there's all these shared surfaces and stuff like that? Or do I go to Jane's and get in a private chef and bring in a massage therapist and nails and that sort of thing. And that is happening all year round now. So that like is a huge benefit. And of course it's so great to be able to have all this business in the off season. So even more reason to have our staff there. Um, but yes, seasonality um, continues to be, um, you know, definitely we are very seasonal, but I would say, whereas before it was 90% in the summer, you know, maybe now we're 80% in the summer. So, and we also are looking at um, going into the Florida market um, with some properties there um, because of a lot of our owners and a lot of our guests also have properties there or want to rent them there. Yeah, and I, I definitely want to dive in, into that as well. But before we get to that, you mentioned there the some of the services you offer, bringing a massage therapist, your nails. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how this process works? Do you partner with local organizations or do you hire on those services? Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so as, as we said before, um, after you have got a confirmed reservation, we um, send you information about our concierge services. Um, many of the services that we have that involve water toys, like kayaks, canoes, stand-up paddles, paddle boats, um, I have those in inventory. So we rent them from our own inventory. But any services such as private chefs, massage therapists, car service, um, 
uh, can go into, uh, you know, photography. We actually, that's actually our own staff. Um, but anyways, we do um, only use local and uh, we do have partnerships with a lot of local companies. Um, we actually also are doing a bigger job of sampling with local companies. So for instance, um, you know, Field of Greens is a local um, provider, uh, specialty food store provider in Muskoka. They put a, a gift card for $20 into our gift baskets. And so we're very happy to obviously do that. And we've got, you know, some other locals of sparkling water and other healthy things that sort of go with our brand. So Florida, tell us about Florida. How does this fit? Um, uh, where, did the, um, where did the idea originate from? Are you still thinking about it? Are you actually doing it? Give us sort of the, the, the journey to Florida, if you would. Sure. Um, Florida, uh, so a lot of our owners have places in Florida. A lot of our guests have places in Florida. We've looked at international expansion into other markets like Bahamas, Cayman, and you know where there is mass, it is in Florida. Um, we currently have three owners that have um, third properties in Florida. And so we have been renting their properties and we have been privately renting them to our guests or owners, um, you know, through a sort of private network of where they can go and see these properties. Um, so currently um, I'm taking an export trade program and looking into ways of entering the US, um, possibly through partners, possibly doing it ourselves. Um, but yes, um, there's our owners and our guests that go to Florida and I say, I'm thinking of going there and they said, we need somebody like you so badly down here. There's so much potential. And really the market in Florida is very similar to the market is in Muskoka before I started. There's a lot of real estate agents that are, you know, really destined to sell, but they have these rentals that, you know, they just sort of do, but they don't spend that much time because they don't really like it. And there is a real opportunity for someone to be a professional rental agent and, pro and provide a luxury service like we do. And is there any, I'm sure, you know, we'll get into this too, but is there any considerations that, you know, have to be taken when expanding internationally, you know, things that maybe people don't, don't realize or think about before they sort of enter that new market? For sure. That's why I'm taking this export course. So I have to figure out my business organization, taxes, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's, it is a lot of work to go there. Jane, you were in the newspaper recently quoted, you, people can pay, what's it up to $85,000 for a week uh, for, at a cottage. Um, if I have my 85,000, I said, I want, you know, the $85,000 package. What do I get that's different from the person paying a much lower amount? What, what, what typically is in that deluxe package? Right. Um, well, really you are getting a cottage that is likely worth in, in today's market, probably worth $20, $20 million. So that property that you see on my website, that's 85,000. I would say that that is probably worth at least 20 million. Um, and what you're getting is full access to that property. That property comes with a tennis court, a, a gym, um, a pavilion where Blue Rodeo has played before. 
um, multiple cottages, multiple, um, there's a yoga studio. And so there's sunsets and sunrises, um, an absolutely idyllic island that is located about three minutes from um, the marina. And, uh, you know, if you're um, a celebrity and stuff like that, that's what they like is they want extreme privacy. They don't want anybody to know that they're there and all that kind of stuff. And so you are getting the property plus then you're also getting my white linen service. So it's, you know, perfectly clean. It's perfectly presented. You're getting daily housekeeping. Um, you're getting service, you know, anything happens, we would have somebody there full time for that type of thing. Um, and we also have a personal concierge that would be there to help them, you know, um, arrange groceries or arrange um, a pickup at the uh, pickup at the local marina and uh, any other sort of logistics that they need. I know it doesn't maybe sound like a lot, but you know, it is a pretty, it, like these, these places are really paradise. They really are. So are the, um, to, to work from that, would somebody, have you had requests like hotels to do a wedding or a corporate event where people want to rent several, um, either one compound like you described of several facilities or several cottages close to each other to do the wedding or anniversary or something? Have you had that kind of, uh, demand and do you do you go for that or do you turn it no we uh, we actually just this year um, set up an event business and so um, previously um, to this year we were not um, engaged in weddings because um, most people um, most of our owners would much rather rent to a family in July and August as opposed to have a wedding um, and so now anyways and so anybody that wants to get in touch with us now um, for a wedding in June or September or July and August in Collingwood. Um, we have our own um, event specialist who can set them up at our properties. If you go on our website, you'll see a picture of um, Billy Joel at a piano. And, uh, you know, the idea of maybe uh, having one of these beautiful properties and uh, getting Billy Joel to come and play for your 30 closest friends is maybe some of our target audience would maybe like to do that. And uh, speaking of the properties there, did you find any changes in terms of, you know, the way the housing market's going right now? Has there been more people looking to rent out their cottages? Have there been more people selling their cottages? Have you seen sort of any fluctuations with, with that? For sure. So what has happened over the last couple of years because of the pandemic is a lot of our guests that we've rented to in the past have bought. Okay, so they are now buyers, so they're not renters anymore. Um, and they're not likely, in my case, and the income level that I'm at, um, they may not be interested in renting. So in general, my inventory has shrunk, just like the real estate market. Okay, so I have um, less inventory than, um, then because the market is doesn't have a lot of inventory, I don't have a lot of inventory. Years ago, when the market was um, very buoyant, I mean, when the market was, um, you know, a cottage could be for sale for two or three years, and I would be able to rent it during that time because the chances of it selling um, were not that high. Now, um, no real estate agent would allow that cottage to be rented um, when it's also for sale. And so that inventory has also gone away because the, you know, these transactions are happening so quickly right now. 
Um, Jane, do you work very closely with real estate agents? Are they a good referral source for you? Uh, um, uh, is there other industry sectors that are, you know, good friends or mentors or peer groups to help you? I mean, are there certain natural groups that uh, are supportive or overlap with what you do? Yeah. Um, like um, at the very beginning of my business, I think real estate agents um, weren't too happy that I came into the market because what they, what I did was took away some buyers um, that, you know, couldn't find exactly what they wanted. And so they rented for a few years until they found it. Um, but what's happened over the last couple of years is um, I feel that real estate agents um, feel like I deliver a good service. Um, and so that they can refer their guests to me that are still looking to rent. But, you know, knowing in fact that, of course, I will refer the guests back to them um, when they're, you know, looking to buy. And so anyways, I think they just like to, to know that I'm providing, you know, good service to their clients and that's most important to them. And if someone was looking to, um, you know, join and, and rent out their space, I'm sure like there's definitely the certain expectations is, can you tell us a little bit about this process in terms of someone who's maybe looking to sort of get in on that side? Sure. Um, so if you're a new owner, um, a lot of times what happens is either you're an uh, owner that has decided to rent your cottage, maybe the situation is, you know, you, you, there's not as many people coming up to your cottage, you're getting older, um, you know, you'd like to have the extra income, or there could be a situation where somebody, a new, you know, there's also been a lot of people that have recently bought cottages um, that are young. And, uh, you know, they're also trying to get some income on that as well. We will go to the cottage. Um, I have a business development team and there's, there's people in Toronto, sorry, there's people in Muskoka, um, Halliburton's in Collingwood. They will go and visit um, the owner, um, create a rental assessment for the owner. And if the owner agrees to proceed with um, having us list their cottage, we send them a listing agreement, new owner documents, on, which includes inventory that owners are expected to have at the cottage, like kitchen inventory. Um, clues information on our white linen service, FAQs, et cetera, et cetera. We do um, photography, and then we also perform a really um, comprehensive audit on the cottage. So we're making sure that there's, you know, 16 dishes that match, that are not chipped, that, you know, the pots and pans are good, the oven mitts are of good quality, just making sure everything is matching our brand. And so we do have, and then we give our audit report back to our owners, and then we expect them to act on what is sort of deficient. Um, Jane, what are some of the biggest challenges you have to deal with? Is it people's cancelling at the last minute? Is it plumbing issues? Is it, I don't know, um, um, you know, um, guests that don't... Um, uh, behave and annoy their neighbors or, like yeah. what, what what typically are the big challenges that in your kind of business people have to deal with or some of them that people think are challenges but really that's a myth yeah um i would say the biggest challenge i have to deal with is labor and uh you know there we have true labor shortages up here um especially um seasonal labor shortages um yeah, sometimes we just can't get somebody to work. So, um, and that would really be that much better if we had better affordable housing up here. Not everybody want to live in my staff housing. Um, so, you know, that's 
that's number one. Um, I'd say the second biggest issue um, that I have is um, this whole idea of people thinking that they can go and put their cottage for sale after we have an executed rental agreement. And they think that they can go and sell their cottage um, when a family is expecting to come and have their summer vacation for two weeks at that cottage. Um, so anyways, unfortunately for my owners, I don't allow that to happen. And, uh, and again, I've never been caught, um, meaning in some cases, the owner um, has sold their cottage and the new owner has taken over the rental agreement. Or in other cases, um, the owner has been penalized as per my contract. Um, and the guests have found a better place by, through my staff to, you know, so basically there's an upside to the guest because we provide them a better rental if this happens, but it is very stressful on the guest, on our staff, on me, um, when the owner decides that they can just think that they can sell their cottage and not think about the fact that families have booked there. Um, another thing that keeps me up at night is all these short-term rental laws that are coming into place in the various regions around um, you know, Ontario. It's also everywhere. It happens in you know every single state and city in the world. Um, so that keeps me up. Um, some things that don't keep me up at night as much um, are the septic issues. You know, it's not nice when it happens, but you know, um, we we've been through them a lot now, and we try our very best. But a lot of times. Um, it is, it is what it is. And so we've learned through a lot of these things that go on in our business on a daily basis um, that we you know, can sort of manage them now because we've gone through it a lot and there's only so much we can do. You know? um, but we do, you know, if there is a situation where um, a, there's been a sewage problem and the, the guests have no water, that in my mind is a full day refund. If you can't use the facilities, that guest gets a full day refund. And I you know, make sure my owners realize that and that's what happens. And so I think as long as we're being reasonable, as reasonable as we can, um, some of those issues that used to be horrible um, are still bad, but I can, they're more manageable now. And you mentioned there too, you know, with staffing and, and how that can be an issue. You've grown um, ex exponentially within the past few years. You said now you have up to 65 staff. How have you gone about now managing this larger staff? You know, how on your end, how is it that you sort of have had to adapt to that? Yeah, so I have an org chart now, <laughs> obviously. Um, yeah, so I have like, you know, um, a head of operations, a head of owner relations, a head of business development, a head of marketing. So yeah, we have a, you know, um, big organizational chart and that have um, all the people. Um, we're doing, you know, policies and procedures. Um, every, you know, we uh, really are growing into a bigger company. Uh, sometimes for me, um, it's, it is not it at all where my strengths are really is managing people. Um, I didn't ever expect um, the company to, to be so successful. And I used to say I'd be fine with 15 cottages. 
Um, and so anyways, I've got really, really, really great people that are doing a lot of the managing of the people. And I'm mostly still um, doing the vision and, you know, in situations with um, where I need to, you know, discuss it, you know, um, unique situations with owners and guests. And you, you touch on vision. So what is your vision for the future? Are you looking, you know, for some people, a long term is 18 months, others look generations and they're building something for the grandchildren. Uh, others are just building something to sell and retire. Like what, what are the elements of your vision and where do you, you know, how far out and how, how, how much of that uh, takes up your day? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'd say that it takes up a good portion of my day now, which is nice. Um, and yeah, I would, I would love to continue to grow um, into uh, what we're doing now in Ontario and other re regions in Canada. And I would also like to have Jane's um, in other regions in the US and some islands and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm not done yet. <laughs> and with that too, you know, if you were to picture your perfect cottage or your perfect getaway, what would that look like? Wow, that's a good question. Um, uh, like, you know, I love the mountains. Um, so I, I think that probably um, I love the lake too, but I, I love the mountains. I think uh, being in a mountainous area um, with the fire and uh, potentially in the wintertime skiing and uh, that sort of thing, I think that that sort of is pretty nice to me. Then you have a big family. How does family fit in all this? How do you find time for family? Do some work in the business? You never see them. You know, like, what's the family dynamic that you have to balance being such a busy person? Yeah. Um, so I have four children, and um, one is still working with me. Um, they all have worked with me throughout the years through university and and uh, into their career. The other two um, are working at other jobs and my one daughter is just finishing up university now. Um, yeah, it's been really, really busy, but I think, um, and yes, I definitely have been very conflicted about having this growing business that's, you know, um, growing so much as it has over the last many years. Um, but I think that they all feel a part of it as well. Like, you know, they're really, you know, they understand um, that it is a, it's been a fun ride and that they're very interested. For sure, there's times where, um, you know, I wish that I was able to be more of a mother, you know, sometimes when I, I feel like I'm not sometimes there. Um, but anyways, it's, it's also because I spend 99% um, of my time in Muskoka and three of my kids live in Toronto. So I'm just not seeing them like before I was in Toronto and then, you know, cottaging Muskoka. And now I am 100% pretty well in Muskoka. Um, but the kids are older and uh, and anyways, it's, it's all good, but it's had its ups and downs for sure. And, you know, building on those ups that you mentioned there, is there sort of one big moment or highlight that really stands out from your journey from owning your business and it growing? Like I would, I would just say that over the lot, like when the first three years being in this business, I was just like sort of pinching myself. And as my dad was still alive then, and I was telling him some things that we were doing. And I was just pinching myself going, does this happen with all new businesses? Like are these things just keep on going better and better and better. And then, um, 
And then I uh, got a nomination to the RBC award the next year I won it. And, and now um, I've got a brand and, you know, having that brand and having um, the, anyways, I think that the idea is, yeah, it feels really good. My dad was um, a very successful entrepreneur in Sarnia where I grew up and I didn't ever think that, you know, I would be in a small town sort of doing what he did. Um, and yeah, like, you know, a lot of people know my business and, um, and a, lot, a lot of people say, I hear really great things about your business. I know I've got some amazing staff that are very happy. Um, and so, yeah, that's really, really gratifying. And it's really, um, I can't tell you, I never expected any of this before. So, yeah. Then you mentioned brand. How's your brand evolving? You, you've got the James Cottage brand burnt into our brains, but, but there's sort of the luxury home kind of uh, theme. Uh, how's the brand evolving or where, where do you see you take, taking the brand to the next level, if, if that's the right language? Yeah. Um, so we are pretty much now James Luxury Rentals. Okay. Um, and then, you know, we probably, um, you know, potentially could also have a sub-brand called Jane's Concierge because we do really believe that there is an offering for concierge that is independent of being rentals or not. You know, same with property services. Um, that's another area where Jane's properties that we could get into. Um, but yeah, it's mostly, but the main business is always going to be the rental business. And uh, that will be through Jane's Luxury Rentals. And you've, you've talked a little bit about, you know, some of the challenges and then some of the upsides of running a business in this area. If there is someone looking to open a business here, what sort of advice would you give to them? Yep. Um, I would tell them to network as much as they can, to go and meet everybody they can, pick up the phone, whatever it answer, whenever it rings, um, join the Chamber of Commerce, um, meet real estate agents, meet, you know, um, whoever you can to just talk and just, you know, most people, um, you know, are very nice and don't mind giving you information about their small town. Small town people are really nice. And uh, so people at the gas station, people at the local deli, whatever, you just go and learn and learn and learn. Research, research, you know, use the web and get out there and talk to people. Pick up your phone always. And you mentioned earlier government grants and um, local towns and that can help and their chambers and their economic development offices. And how, how big a deal is that for a business up here? Is there much support or, um, you know, you've got to be just, you've got to know the right people on the right week to get the right grant or to, to get, you know, a meeting with, with the right mayor or the right business yeah. person. How's that dynamic operate in a small community like this? Yeah, um, it operates beautifully the uh, community is so supportive um, of um, letting entrepreneurs know of what grants are out there you know it goes from the economic development officer at muskoka lakes um, through the chamber of commerce through um, you know the destination um, ontario and destination rtos um, your organization ion fednor you just make, um, there's great websites now that talk about all the different grants that are available. 
Um, I just yesterday applied for a $5,000 grant for um, NOW, which is Northern Ontario Women, for um, some hopefully technology funding. But yeah, um, again, again, it's this inclusive community that is very supportive. And, um, you know, you can call them up and talk to them on the phone about whether they think that your grant, your um, your application of the grant will work or not. Um, I started a business in Toronto. I didn't have any idea about any of these grants that were out there. This was prior to this business. Um, and um, I just have to say is that, yeah, the whole community is so supportive and to use, use that network always. You mentioned, you know, starting a business in Toronto as well. Was there any other differences you noticed in terms of, you know, starting a business in Toronto versus starting a business in Muskoka? Um, I started a retail coffee business in Toronto. I roasted my own beans. It was called Black Sox Coffee Company. When I worked for Kraft, I was in coffee. And so I thought that I would uh, start a coffee company. Um, and yeah, like I, um, I think that the the support system in um, on the government side is really what um, I didn't know about and didn't um, and didn't um, put any weight on. And right now, I'm going through this TAP program, which is called Trade Accelerator Program, um, and it is with a, a consortium of government um, organizations such as EDC. Um, um, global affairs, et cetera, et cetera, to help you export. And it is just a concierge of services that they are there in helping you um, plan your export strategy. And so again, that's, um, so, you know, it is, I think I'm wiser this time around that I, I you know, before I didn't, um, you know, ask for any funding and, and grants and stuff like that this time, um, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of grants and it's really helped my business because by getting grants, you try some things that you might not have wanted. Like I'm pretty conservative as far as spending, like everything in my business has been self-funded. And so when I get some extra money, I try some extra things and they've worked out and I've hired more people and our sales have grown and all that kind of stuff. So it really has been a great impetuous to you know grow the business. Any advice for other business owners um, in terms of uh, applying for competitions and stuff? What what tips or advice um, do you know? Uh, do you suggest they have when they you know um, thinking about going for a, a competition? What what would you? What would be sort of the key elements that you would give a business owner saying, look, if you you need to remember or think about A, B, and C if you're going to go for one of these awards. Mm -hmm. um I think in any competition or any grant um, application, you have to make sure you answer the questions. So, you know, being very careful, um, being very meticulous to answer the questions. I also think um, the um, Women of Influence Award, I was nominated the first year and I was told at the time, or oh, you should get a grant writer to submit your application. So I got a grant writer to submit my application and I checked it and stuff like that, but I didn't. Um, and then after um, the first year, which was 2018, um, the our, uh, Women of Influence came back and said, you, you had a fabulous application, but you didn't do some things. And I sort of thought, 
okay, well, I'm going to do this again next year, and I'm going to write it myself. And I also think that it's super important that the founder writes the application because they're the ones that have the passion and know, and, um, you know, to, to make sure that everything that you really, you know, having showing the passion that you have for these grants or these awards. And you mentioned there too, the passion, passion for your business. What is it that, you know, really keeps you motivated um, in your business, you know, especially during if what times can be difficult or challenges that come up, what is it that keeps you motivated? Yeah, I think um, just providing great customer service, somebody coming back for the third year in a row. And, you know, I recognize that name and they're coming back and they want a great spot. I just want to help them. I just want to make sure that they're taken care of. Um, an owner that is, um, you know, has been so um, accommodating over the years. I just really want to make sure that they know that they're, you know, really respected and stuff like that. I love the the new services that we're giving to guests right now. Like we're, you know, renting Peloton bikes and we're renting uh, these uh, weight benches, um, that sort of thing. I love the idea of us expanding in the off season and partnering with local establishments like, you know, this new beer spa um, in Bala or the Cranberry Festival or whatever. Like I, you know, um, anyways, yeah, like there's just a lot to really um, keep the business going. And the other thing I love is my staff. Like number one, I love my staff. I think that I'm so lucky to have them. I am so happy that I'm able to give them jobs and that jobs that they feel like they're empowered and are moving the business and well-paid. Um, I pay everyone quite well, like a well above a living wage. And, uh, and that's really important to me. Jane, what's your typical day like? It's gotta be a little hectic. So, I mean, some people are up at three, four in the morning and running around doing gym and meditating yeah. and other folks are you know i can't find them before 10 o'clock they have they, they need to have their first coffee like what, what's your your your, yeah. your flow of your your day or your week how, how do you cope with all the many things coming at you yeah um i yeah i i'm still not 100 percent balanced i still do 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 some work on weekends i work also some evenings um, I tend to have a little, I come into the office probably around 10, 10.30, take my dog for a walk before then, sort of just do some emails. And then I come in and, um, and then I have meetings with um, my staff and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I could definitely do some more in terms of the, uh, the management. Um, but again, as I said, my kids are all older. Um, you know, it's just uh, me and my partner up here and, you know, he's always on his computer. So, so am I. <laughs> and what was your favorite thing about Muskoka? What's something that, you know, really drove you to staying here full time? You know, truthfully, um, when my boyfriend and I started dating after my marriage broke up, um, we met about 11 months after my marriage broke up. And the first summer we were together was in 2009. Um, and we rented a cottage on Stony Lake because I had a lot of friends on Stony Lake. Um, and at the very last minute, the cottage, um, the cottage rental went through, um, fell apart, just sort of like any of those typical experiences. His brother was coming in from BC, so sorry, he couldn't rent the cottage. 
well, like we were sort of left without a, a cottage rental. And uh, at the last minute, we ended up coming to Muskoka and visiting um, one of Jamie's patients. Um, and uh, we brought our boat up. We had bought a boat and brought it up to Muskoka. And we went around Lake Rosso and we went to some of his friends um, dock and we started coming back to Muskoka after that. Um, I was prior to that when I was married, I was on Lake Simcoe and I grew up on Lake Huron. Um, all of those areas um, had a boat, had a great summer life. And yes, I believe that Muskoka is absolutely breathtakingly stunning. The landscapes and the rock and the water and the clean water and the fact that there's these beautiful cottages all over the water, but cottaging is great anywhere. It's just a way to, it's a place to go to get away and to, um, you know, have a break from your regular life. And so, you know, I totally understand where it, it doesn't really matter where people go. It is nice to be on a lake at a cottage and feeling, you know, like you, you're having a bit of a break. And, uh, but you're right, Muskoka is beautiful, but I can tell you that I sort of happen chanced on Muskoka just because of that story. <laughs> So are there any thoughts or comments you'd like to share, maybe questions we didn't ask that, that you think would be helpful in terms of profiling uh, you, your business, or Muskoka that, that you'd like to share with us? Um, maybe I'll just share some comments about some of the short-term rental legislation that's going on. There's a lot of regions in Ontario right now that um, have short-term rental licenses, um, such as Huntsville and Lake Bays. Um, and then there's some other areas that have short-term rental bans, such as um, Seguin currently does, um, and Clearview, which, which is where Wasaga Beach is, um, Collingwood, and um, Township of Blue Mountain has no new rentals um, since Blue Mountain, um, Blue Mountain Village was, um, was built. Um, I strongly believe that rental bans are not the, the way that um, the, the law should proceed. Rental bans mean that you can't rent as a family for a week um, in Collingwood. So in Collingwood right now, you can only go to a hotel, resort, or a bed and breakfast. You cannot rent uh, private accommodations with your family for a week. I do really think that Doug Ford would be really upset about that, thinking that post-COVID, a new family in Canada couldn't go and visit a town in Collingwood that is such a booming town. Similarly, in Seguin, where I am in Muskoka, which is the north end of Lake Rosso and Joe, um, they also have a full rental ban. And they believe that, you know, if you wanna rent for 30 days, that's fine but any rentals of less than 30 days are banned. Um, this type of thing is a lot, is very unfair to the owners who believe that they can rent for a couple weeks a year to help with the costs of maintaining their cottage because they've been doing that for generations and generations. It's sort of a rite of passage that a lot of uh, families would rent their cottage and for a couple weeks just to help with the, you know, the upkeep. Um, other reasons you want to allow short-term rentals is because it provides ec economic growth 
from the tourists in town. Can you imagine Port Carling and not having any tourists in town um, and how that would hurt things, let alone all the seasonal jobs that happen in the summer. If there's no sort of turnover and, you know, um, if the owners are there all the time, there's not going to be the tourist activity. So, um, and also just the fact that of tourism in general, meaning um, another reason I should have brought this up earlier is the fact that if we don't have um, tourists, 25% um, of my tour, my guests have purchased cottages. People rent before they buy. And so by cutting off rentals in these areas, they're limiting um, the amount of new buyers they're bringing in. And then therefore they're putting um, depressing market prices by no lower demand into coming into the area. And so um, instead of really going and blanketing the industry and saying no short-term rentals are allowed, I think that there should be um, a, a reasonable approach done where there's a licensing regime and there's an inspection of the properties, making sure that their fire code and um, various parking, septic, all that kind of stuff, um, that there's a number, a, a maximum number of guests that's based on the septic um, size for the property. So, you know, there's no way a four bedroom cottage can fit 16 people, it fits eight people, right? So I do believe there's um, stronger management to these things because by and large um, in Muskoka, um, and in these areas, we're not seeing, you know, the whole industry having problems. We're seeing the same problems at the same with the same owners because they're the bad owners that are letting anybody rent their cottage because they're not there. They're doing it just for um, income and buying a piece of property on a lake. And obviously it's making it, you know, terrible for the neighbors. But let's concentrate on those owners and get rid of them and then you know have a licensing regime and have it be a much more normal more ecosystem we've learned in my business that my business is um, doing um, is competing directly with other accommodation choices it's competing with resorts it's competing with bed and breakfasts it's competing with hotels um, you know i can't do that in some areas because of these rental bans and I just don't think that that's a long-term, um, I don't think uh, Doug Ford would like it. I don't think, you know, a lot of people, um, a lot of homeowners want to be told whether they can rent or they can't rent their property as sort of their property rights. And how has those regulations sort of, you know, affected your business and how do you have, how do you go, you know, with, they can change any day sort of pivoting with those changes. How has, how has your business sort of had to adapt to that? Mm -hmm. So in Collingwood, um, we are getting, we've, uh, some of my owners have gotten um, um, fines for having, um, having their property on my website and it not saying 30 day minimum. So, you know, that's how it's affecting me is that we really have to um, ensure that we are following, um, you know, the guidelines that are given. And a lot of times, you know, sometimes our owners don't tell us that they are in a short-term rental area. And so now we have hired a person that takes on, um, is responsible for all, all short-term rental regions to let us know which township, you know, if there's a law in that region, because we don't want our owners to get fined. 
Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a lot to manage and a lot of different um, townships have different rules. So thank you very much, Jane. Thank you so much. Bye, Sarah. Yeah. Bye, Stuart. Thank you.